Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello there. My name is Miles Jupp cricket fan and together with my co-host mark wood actual cricket man we invite you to listen to middle please umpire a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things while lifting the lid on mark's life as an international cricketer and as if that wasn't enough we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I'm Boyd Hilton. Uh, Psychic Psychic Josh is with us. He's back after, frankly, after a week of... uh, of uh, not being on the podcast last week, um, slacked. He was slacking laziness on his part. He's back where he belongs, doing the podcast live and direct after a uh, glorious win of the Arsenal Monday Night Football on Sky. We're doing a, we're doing one of our increasingly common post-match podcasts. Um, we're joined by uh, footballistically Arsenal legend Alan Alger. Um, in a rare appearance post-victory. Alan's usually here to rub out our noses in his grim reality. Uh, tonight we're kind of almost walking in a in a in an Arteta Wonderland, I think. Um apart from a terrible first half anyway. We'll get to that. But the big news, the real reason why Josh wasn't here last week, I, I'm gonna reveal this fact is that anyone who follows Josh on Instagram, and if you're not following Josh on Instagram, then, then what's the matter with you? Um he did reveal tonight that he's he's the proud father of a newborn baby girl, Amelia Smith-Rowe Landy. Is that her name? Is that right? Did I get that right? Um, uh, yeah. And, uh, Lenny. Uh, has, yes. Right. Lenny. Sorry, got it wrong. Lenny. That's okay. Everything That's all right, well. Boy. Looks very cute. And uh, congratulations, Josh. Thank you. Uh, and apologies, my internet connection doesn't seem to be so brilliant as we start this podcast. Uh, but yeah, I, I was sorry to miss last week's, but she was born on Monday and I wasn't sure how my wife would take it if within two hours of being home from hospital, I was spending an hour doing the podcast with you and Tom. But what I will say is that when I was awake at 4am the following night, it was a delight to listen to and really improved my mood when I was staring at this child going, how on earth do I stop it, stop it crying? Um, so yeah, you, it was very fun. Tom was, a, was in great form. Mm, yeah, he was. Were you tempted to call the baby Amelia Smith-Rowe in any way? Very tempted, yeah. I mean, had Rosie relented, then uh, it, it would have a hundred percent been. I mean, Emily was going to be the compromise, but I, I was I was pushing for Amelia just so there was no question uh, of where I was yeah. planning on going with it. Uh, no, we ended up going with Lenny, and I've got a little cousin uh, who's about eleven who's obsessed with football, 
and he's convinced that it is in some way a tribute to our goalkeeper, Leno. So I've told him on the phone that it was, but that he can never tell Rosie the truth. So I just think, I wonder how long this will go on for years at family That's... events that I'll be pleading with him never to go and tell the truth. That's sweet. And it, it, you could have called you could have called the baby Leno, which would have been properly bonkers, like Arsenal fan behaviour, wouldn't it? Like that's the kind of thing that that, that gets grown men into trouble, particularly. Um anyway, we should we should we should deal with the the uh joy of the evening. Alan, it started well this evening. Um also so a huge day because um um uh Meza Ursel's finally gone. He's 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 officially departed for the club, which some of us thought would never happen. I mean but it has happened, so we've got to talk about that um, at some point. Um, but to stick with the game tonight, Alan, you started off um, ominously with with the, the kickoff, and you you posted a um, a tweet a while ago now, where in which which was a video compilation of our kickoffs, um, which all are exactly the same, where we kind of kick it back. We pass it back and then he we launch a long ball up the flank vaguely towards their um, left, maybe, and uh, and then it goes out of play and nothing really happens. And it happened again tonight, almost. In, and I was thinking, oh my god, this is this is this doesn't bode well. Um, what is it? Fuck! What the fuck is up with that um, that that uh, opening kickoff situation? It's bizarre. I should give credit to uh, a podcast listener called Ryan Lum Evans, who's he's actually from the Barnet area. Um, he he compiled the video and just sent it to me privately because it, I had mentioned it. And um, he said, yeah, I've got a video of the first five seconds after kickoff. And I said, you should put that on Twitter. So I did, I did retweet it for him. Um, and since then, there's probably been about another six that he could have added to the compilation. Um, the mad thing is, and, and what you tend to get these days, and I guess Twitter encourages it, is that these these weird sort of tactical nerds say, yes, that's the, that's definitely the best way to take a, a, a kickoff. It's like, well, yeah, method-wise, it probably <laughs> is, like as in as an idea, because if you do it well, I guess you pin someone back. But the video I tweeted is because we haven't done it well at all. There's not one example of doing it well, so therefore. Yeah. That's why I've tweeted it. I'm not tweeted it to say we shouldn't be doing this. I'm I'm tweeting it to say how badly are we doing this? And we did it again tonight. Um, yeah. I, so it's to gain some kind of territorial advantage level with the area, a bit like um, a rugby tactic, just to get the ball, you know, level with the mm. area that you're attacking and, and hope that, someone miscontrols it and you get the throw or even if the throw goes to the other team, you can pin them back in. But most of the time it should be that your player has been fast enough to get up there, challenge for the ball, hopefully win it. And then you can set yourself on an attack. The only two times we deviated from that was um, the Tottenham away game. And the ball came across to, I think it was Bellerin and he miskicked it and it went out of play anyway. So um, <laughs> brilliant. it's not been brilliant. great, but, yeah. We're here to be positive yeah. tonight. We are. We are. I just wanted to. I just. I thought it was a funny. It was. It, it was a yeah. funny start to the game, but it was it's, a textbook um, example mad. of it's that mad. of that it video. Must, yeah, but I mean, no, knowing that you're going to have at least one kickoff per match, there must be a better way of preparing us for this. Um, yeah, and and also corners as well. If you think about it, you're going to on average get five or six corners per match, and we've been abysmal at those as well. So. To me, they're the kind of things you probably should work on, but we haven't for years, decades, you know, a decade. Oh, God, yeah. Decade yeah, or so, yeah so. 100%. Yeah, yeah. But Generally, the match tonight, we, yes. We, yeah. We've got to get more positive. Don't worry. Let's, let's get it. I know it. what we're you're going to say. I know. I'm, all five, right. All right. Five clean sheets in a row. Five clean sheets in a row. I mean, I Lenny's know. never seen Arsenal concede in her lifetime. It is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. I mean, this could be the start of something of a, of a miracle. Yeah. I mean, that is a pretty. Uh, I mean, I think our defence, even during the even during the dark times um, of, of not, not so long ago, like four weeks, three or four weeks ago. Was the defense was wasn't terrible, was it? But it's definitely it's definitely um, looking pretty decent. And today we had Cedric um, of all things, because I think the team selection was probably the exact team. This team tonight, certainly as far as I'm concerned, I think a lot of fans was exactly what you would have wanted. From bearing in mind he had um, uh, for the possibly for the first time this season, pretty much you know a, a fit squad. Maybe Gab Gabriel's like you know 
well, he's waiting to bring him back from from full from from the period where he wasn't available. But generally, the team tonight, I was like, yes. But then Cedric suddenly gets selected, which I thought was fairly surprising, considering wherever you think of Hector, he'd been a good positive attacking force. I thought generally, but but Cedric well, played really well, didn't he? Yeah, excellent. And look, I think Arteta is giving different players opportunities. We saw it, didn't we, with Maitland Niles? You know, getting a game game the other day uh, and so too Cedric and I guess you you have to start alternating the squad I mean it has been relentless hasn't it and and we obviously now we're halfway through the Premier League season we are at that turning point of, of 19 uh, Premier League games and we've had those six Europa League games you know we you know progressed to the quarterfinals of the League Cup um, you know we're underway now in the uh, in the FA Cup so you know, there's just too many games not to have a Portuguese, you know, international who, you know, Arteta brought into the club permanently be given an opportunity. So I think it's fair enough. I want to come back. Don't let us forget. I want to know if you've been watching Hector's uh, YouTube series, though, Boyd, when we get back. To yeah, it. yeah, I did watch it. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, he's, he's great. I mean, he's he's brilliant um, at you know, being on TV and uh, talking about stuff and uh, communication and that story. Yeah, that's that's a really good thing about his injury and, and recovery and all of that. That's great. But the best thing about that actually is the Tierney um, thing where Tierney talks about how how um, helpful um, Hector was with him. I thought that was really sweet and moving. But back to the game, Alan. Um, no, we haven't really had you on. As far as I, I, I think we haven't had you on since the 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 terrible period which basically kind of proved your theory that um you know we were being too positive about Arteta and he ended up well, you know, was on, let's face it he was on the verge of of almost getting the sack if we if we'd have carried on playing as badly and losing as frequently as we were then he's brought now he's brought it back I'm being positive don't worry Josh don't look at me like that listeners Josh is looking frustrated annoying but generally Alan do you feel do you feel like tonight and these this period of um, of uh, not letting any goals and you know apart from the last game winning a, a little string of, of decent results he's 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 turned it around, hasn't he Alteta? So give him credit for that. Yeah, he's, 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 there's definitely been a turnaround in the results. <laughs> there's been a turnaround in the performances. The defense. I don't think we were as worried about the defense as, as you've mentioned, and. Luckily, who's ever, whoever's had to drop into that, I think as 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 Josh says, it's it's 495 minutes without conceding. If you if you go back to Chelsea's consolation five minutes before the end of that game, you've got another half an hour in there against Newcastle of extra time, where we kept a clean sheet as well. So 495 minutes, and there's been all different personnel across that back four or or five whenever it's been switched to a five. So you have to say that something's going right there and we've got that blend right. And I think the criticism during that bad period was obviously that we've got all that right, but we've taken away the attacking element. And if you looked at the second half tonight, you can see that there are players definitely capable of adding that to the defensive solidity. So actually, when you look at that full blend of the second half, you're thinking it's all there. Everything's there to actually be successful and to win these games and to do something with, with this squad. And he, he, he deserves credit to the extent that he is putting the players in the right positions now. And he's, he's maybe picking the right personnel. I know a lot of people who are more critical than myself say that he stumbled on it, but look, some of the best things in football are stumbled upon. They really yeah. are. Um, I, I, I don't think there's one great manager out there that hasn't had that stroke of luck from stumbling on a player in a certain position or a certain tactic that was where their hand was forced and then eventually realised in actually, oh actually that's better than what we had. So I, I, I don't go in for that kind of criticism. Um, the only thing that I could probably say that, that's slightly negative is that it's still only the West Brom game where we've managed to put two halves together. Now mm. that could trip us up against a much, much better team that only need yeah. a five-minute period of dominance to score a goal. But overall, you have to say, there were a lot, there was still a lot of doom and gloom after drawing nil-nil against Palace. But I wrote in my in my Guna column, which I, I now do, and I've now got a nice column in the Guna, and I did end that after the Palace game with, if we get to the end of the Newcastle game and we've won the game, you're actually staring at 13 points from a possible 15 in the league. Now, that's title-winning form. I know it's a very small window, but that is title-winning form. You can't argue against that. 
So the Palace game, you have to yeah. just treat as a bit of an anomaly in there and say yeah. that we're going in the right direction. We've gone from relegation form to title form, haven't we? That, that's, the, that's the thing. It's complete. And I mean, Josh, just to deal with the first half, I mean, we have to... I think, I think a big part of our problem for me is, and that first half was classic kind of re- slight reversion, even with, you know, better personnel. You still got Xhaka, for example kind of ambling around and initiating attacks and, and having a chances to have, pass a quick, you know, ball upfield and then deciding it's easier um, to pass sideways or backwards. And that was a lot of that in the first 10, 15 minutes of this game. I feel like p- players like Xhaka, particularly him, I mean, I have to say particularly him, um, they almost kind of like, and that and, and, and the, and the defence behind him, they almost like, it feels like tonight they were like easing their way into the game because it was just Newcastle who I don't think they felt were, were going to pose much of an attacking threat although he did pick a you know more attacking side of course than he has in recent weeks I just felt they all kind of like ambling around and just kind of like easing their way and it'll be fine and I think and, and in the end it was alright obviously because Newcastle are pretty shit let's face it but it's not enough is it I thought that first I've really summed up what can go just like just the kind of inherent lack of um, pace and um, intensity that can that our team can have, particularly with the likes of Xhaka starting everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And if you go back to the draw against Crystal Palace, it's possibly three halves of fairly uninspiring football yeah. that we we managed to put together and, and not score a goal. So there is that side of it. But I would look more at the positives and. It just doesn't feel that long ago when teams were coming to the Emirates and and getting shots in left, right and centre. And, you know, we were saying eventually, you know, your, your luck is run out. You can't concede this many shots on goal. You can't give away this many opportunities. And OK, that first half wasn't massively inspiring. I didn't think we were, you know, about to, you know, race into a couple of goals lead by half the time. But equally, I, I, don't, I think we're not conceding. That's all right. We'll get in. Arteta will make some changes and improve will come out of the second half and do much better. And we and we did. And if you look at the bench tonight, Boyd, what would you rather? I mean, Elneny, Willock? I mean, what would you rather instead of Jack? Oh, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't have... I wouldn't rather have had... I mean... I think I think he might actually, you know, I think he might actually try, as he did, I think, didn't he already, um, try um, Sabios instead of Xhaka or Eneni sometimes instead with Partey. Um, that, I think that may well happen. But Partey was the difference, obviously, for me. In the second half, it went... It clearly, it, A, he just... He must have put a rocket up them in, in, in half time, which helped. And B, they immediately started the second half how you'd want them to start the first half with a kind of focus, intensity, and just a pace. And they let, you know, the likes of Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka, obviously, combining, and just just everyone up the pace a bit, I thought. But actually, Alan, of course, even no matter how poor we were in the first half, and it was poor, well, Bamiang should have scored tw- two goals, shouldn't he, really? I mean, he had, he had, he had a couple of fairly decent chances. Definitely one. Um, it's, I, think, I think Gary Neville got it right at half time by saying that it's not an absolute sitter it's just one rung under that it's 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 one that should be scored it does come across it in pace and it also just takes a slight deflection before it gets to him and he has to set his body right but yeah most strikers will be scoring that goal um in fact on on the on the expected goals it rated as about an 80 percent chance that it should have been a goal which i think is about right um but you know, going back to the positive, in terms of conceded chances, Newcastle got a figure of 0.17. That's one of the best defensive performances we've we've put in, in in a very, very long time. They didn't even get one-fifth of a, of a goal chance tonight. So um, that is really positive at the other end. And yes, some might say it's only Newcastle and they probably will be in the bottom six, but I think in, in terms of the teams that we've played recently, the, the only real shock one that we didn't expect to win is Chelsea. But again, you have to go back to this, 13 points from a possible 15. Yeah. Those five games as a package are exactly where where we want to be. And it it won't con- that won't continue. It can't continue. That's probably not sustainable. But we, we do need to at least sort of double our efforts from the first, um, I think someone said it's 27 points from half a season now. 
And that's just yeah. not good enough if you double that. So we're going to need to sort of get half again to get up into the top four or challenge for Europe. But I think it's been that bad in the earlier games that if this is just something coming back to the middle, then we should we should probably have better performances in that second half of the season. And maybe all of the bad stuff's out the way, the bad luck's out the way. Um, so, yeah, around 60-odd points is probably what we're on track for. And it's it's going to be a little better than last season, which was, what, 57, 56 or something. Um, but if I think we've always said if Arteta can point to improvement, then I yeah. don't think he's under threat. I think where you said he was under threat, it was that really sort of deep malaise where we were looking at that Chelsea game going, well, they're big favourites for that game. He's probably going to lose that. And obviously we did get... Yeah. Heavily beaten by Man City, you know, two days before Christmas in that in that League Cup game. And again, that wasn't one anyone expected to win, but it just looked like it was going to tag on to the end of, you know, one win in 10, one win in 12, take out the Europa League games. The stats were bad. It was all heading downhill. So that that's a pivotal game. But, mm. you know, I've talked about it a lot, a lot of times. That, but, you know, Arsene Wenger had a game like this. Everyone forgets. But Arsene Wenger had a period like this. He did have a period like this. And when I compared those first 38 games the other day, you know, he wasn't a million miles off Arsene Wenger's <laughs> like figure. Um, he wasn't a million miles off Arsene Wenger's figure. And the best of all was Emery's. And we saw what happened in his, you know, in his next 12 games, he was appalling. And that cost him yeah. his job. In Wenger's next 12, yeah. in Wenger's games 30, 39 to, to something like 56, he, he actually... I think he won one of his next 10 or three of his next 10. And then we went on that run to the title. So you never, never know. You've just got to see progress. You have to see progress. Yeah. I, I think as well as progress, though, for me, I think I, I, I know I'm obsessed. I am absolutely obsessed with, with William and how shitty he, he was. And what a transform. I think it is transformative. I, I, I really do. Not, not William not playing has been and, and, you know, and it's really Emil Smith Rowe who's kind of taken his place, isn't it? I know he's changed the formation, and so he's yeah. got the fact putting Saka on the different, moving him over to that side, or Bamiyang on the other side. Emil Smith Rowe, you know, in the middle in a kind of ten role, and Lacazette. That that change has been transformative, as far as I'm concerned. And and I agree with you. I don't care I, who knows whether it's accidental or deliberate, whatever it matter, because it's it's just happened. And now, Josh. We are in the position. I think you have to. Surely you have to admit that it's more. Emil Smith Rowe is going to get more game time now because fucking Williams' cameo, fifteen-minute cameo this evening, was basically a terrible free kick, failing to control the ball when, and, and letting it go out for a, for a throw-in, and having his nose wiped by Lacazette. That was his fucking contribution in that fifteen. He put, minute. He put in a half decent corner. Let's give him that. Half decent. That. Half <laughs> decent, but half not decent. even that great. But not yeah, <laughs> not not particularly good. Um, uh, boy, so there's no boy, way. Well, sometimes you well slightly put my hands up and and say that you you might be right here um, because Smithrow is is making himself absolutely undroppable um, at the moment actually over the last few appearances and you cannot envisage a way where Arteta is going to massively change the formation um, of the team uh, and therefore. Smith Rowe doesn't have a great deal of of competition for the for the role he's occupying um, at the moment, uh, and it's to his uh, you know tremendous credit. Uh, and what Alan said is absolutely right. Every team does this at, at some point, don't they? Um, yeah. You yeah. know, you even think back to I remember that game we went to um, Old Trafford. What was it? Five odd years ago, you know, when there was this kid Marcus Rashford put up front due to a injury crisis. Um, every every club stumbles into a situation where someone from the youth the youth has to step up due to, you know, injuries or a terrible run of form. Um, and it's great that, that, um, that one stuck and there's an amazing relationship to see, you know, to see Smith Rowe putting the ball on for Saka, you know, which, which also happened in it for one of the goals, certainly at West Brom, you know, to see goals literally made at, made at Hale end is, is amazing. Especially when you mm. think about the way some of our finances have been spent on transfers and to, to look at that bench and see, um, a seventy-two million pound, you know, signing who who now can't get in the team because two, you know, two freebies effectively, um, 
you know, a, a solving, you know, all the problems we've been having. And you've right. got a Brazilian international, and William, and a huge name. So it is exciting. Hey, Josh, if we're doing concessions, I need to go back to Boyd on Pepe because uh, you've you've just given him the Smith Row one. So, <laughs> Boyd, are well, you prepared I to concede that I might have been right on Pepe? I'm prepared to concede that Pepe is not getting back into this team in a, in a hurry, is he? I mean, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way that um, he's he's getting in there ahead of it. And and Zaka's 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 performances, not Zaka, Zaka's performances have been in that in his position really have been extraordinarily exposing of 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 Pepe's inadequacies. Yeah, I still think my my argument with Pepe with you was was on the wording it was a, it was a semantic argument really i think i think pepe is a, is clearly a very able skillful player who has moments of great individual talent and skill and flair which is kind of, and you know he's dribbling particularly seems to be but his final there's something goes wrong when his final decision making and i think it's most i still think it's mostly mental i think it's no, I, I'm, I'm confident it's what I said. I'm confident it's technique. Because you were just about to say, as soon as it gets through to the final pass or the final ball, something goes wrong. And I think a lot of the time, it, you know, four out of five times, his technique lets him down. But I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm being a bit cheeky with that because what I really think has to happen to make this a good second half of the season is that those other players are brought into the fold and get to play and be good in a team where there's probably eight or nine starters. So in a similar way to the way Bellerin was given the rest tonight and Cedric came yeah. in, the time yeah. we have to rest Saka, you want Pepe to come in and be an eight out of 10 like Cedric. I agree. To make agree. sure that we keep doing that. And then if eight or nine of the core can remain each week, then I think that's that's going to be the difference. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I agree. I think, I think that's Entirely, real yeah. key to the to the to the second half. And, of the season. and I'm confident that Pepe can do a decent enough job. I'm I, not. I, I, I am I, too. I, actually, yeah. I am too. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I don't put William in that in that category though. I think William is no. just a massive massive disaster, and we have to somehow. I mean, I don't know if I don't. You know, I have seen some rumours of people saying we are going to try and offload it, but I can't see that how that's going to happen because he didn't. He's he didn't a big, want to, he didn't want to leave London the first time, so... Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Where's he going to go? Mean, unless we pay his wages. I mean, West Ham... Has, Orion? What do you reckon about Orion? <laughs> in, in those positions. Yeah, Orion, yeah. Yeah, yeah Orion is back <laughs> his level. I'll have him down Brisbane Road for that um, League 2 playoff uh, battle that they're enjoying. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, obviously, we don't even know who we're playing in the FA Cup until this time tomorrow. But there will be significant changes and you just think someone's got to step up don't they of these players not really getting an opportunity and you, and you, and you, and you do feel Pepe is you know far better placed um, to, to make a, a bid to get back in the side and, and then of course you know Martinelli we were all just starting to get excited you know a few weeks back about his return to the side and then and then we feared he was going to be out for so long and then um you know just to see him for what was it seven eight minutes tonight basically at the very end so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to probably what Martinelli and Pepe playing in the FA Cup game and you just hope one or two you know at least one of them delivers a performance that puts pressure at least into getting on the starting 11. Yeah, hundred percent. I thought I thought Gary Neville made a really good point tonight about um, he was talking about he was actually talking about Newcastle and he was talking about the 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 plus of um, picking a team that fans can 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 like a team that fans can embrace and I think that's what we've got now with this with this basic bunch and he has and you know it, this is in complete contrast to how it was during the bad run four weeks ago because and that's and that's why i kept saying like for me people talk about playing the kids it's really literally just playing millsmith row because saka's been playing non-stop hasn't he for 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 ages now for what i don't know a year 18 months um so he's always been you know first choice player and the really and 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 players like um reese nelson and um, you know who else? Uh, uh, Joe Willock. I'm not, and even Eddie Nketiah. Are like no one's clamouring for them to play. It's just Emil Smith Rowe who's come in really as a young player, and that's the difference. So he's not even playing the kids. It's not about playing the kids. That phrase people keep using that phrase. It's that's not what he's doing at all. He's just brought in one player and ditched the fucking disaster of William, and then we can embrace. And and of course, party looked great, particularly in the second half. Tierney is just a thrillingly 
I know, I know Alan has issues about him defensively, but attacking wise and attitude wise, everyone, you know, he's just, everyone loves him. Um, even like the holding, you know, the holding factor, you know, I think holding people really like him because, he, you know, he's just done well, isn't he? It's come in, he signed his new contract. And then you've got Lacazette turning it around. Um, and, you know, suddenly everyone's liking Lacazette again, which is very heartwarming for me. So I just think everyone can embrace this bunch of players in a way that we couldn't embrace for certain key reasons, the players that were being picked a month ago, Alan. Don't you think? So I just think... You're right. There's a core six, seven, eight players in this team that were, that that are just make us feel better about the team. Even though, as you say, actually, in all likelihood, you know, we're probably and we could finish, I don't know, six, seven, eighth, and it being a marginally better season than it was last yeah. year in the end. But I think that what you're talking about, that improvement, actually, is just a good bunch of players, really, who maybe next season, you know, can can come good and 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 do and not have that terrible, terrible period that we had this time. Yeah, when you when you look at the average ages across the whole squad, it's pretty pretty good. Um, you know, you would expect that if Martinelli kicked on, he might eventually switch places with Lacazette. Maybe we're hoping for a bit too much in in that he could be used as a sole striker like that. But his goals to games ratio last season suggested that he could be up to that kind of level of performance. So there's not too much you would change. Um, I know it's been said before, but this Smith Rowe thing, is it sustainable? Is it sustainable that someone so young is going to play in a pivotal position and you're going to play around that position? And if he if he goes missing, has an injury or a bit of inconsistency, we haven't got anyone else to put in there that's anywhere near that quality. And then you have to change the formation again. So to me, even if it's a... a I mean, it's ridiculous because obviously Ozil's just left the club, but even if it's a slightly sort of washed up number 10 from somewhere that we can just pick up for, for 10 million or, or 15 million somewhere, maybe, just maybe we need that kind of cover in the squad. But that's my only real concern. I mean, even the stuff I said about Tierney, I mean, he's played the vast majority of that 495 minutes. We haven't conceded a goal. All I meant by mm. what I want to see from him is that the, the going forward is 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 nine ten out of ten most of the time, and sometimes one on one he slips to a sort of six out of ten. I mean that yeah. that's not that bad. If if your whole defence is performing, you're not going to get caught out many times from that. I think it, it's just like maybe people got a bit carried away saying, you know, is he better than Ashley Cole and and stuff like that. It's just too much expectation to heap on someone when in reality he looks like he's going to be a very very good player for us and and onwards and upwards. I, I get what you're saying about have liking the players. I mean, but maybe that the dislike was probably towards William, Louise and Xhaka mainly during that yeah. bad period. Yeah. And Xhaka's one of those players that, I mean, we saw it last year, you know, he had the lowest of lows with the fan base and still some people really, you know, clamour for him to be in the team. So I don't think he lost the fans. And Louise has managed to keep quiet and not do anything stupid lately, which is a massive yeah, true, yeah. because that's all that, that's all they yeah. were really asking from him. So if anything, if you if you you know rated the players in terms of popularity, I think you'd have William cut adrift at the bottom now, which means if anything, you have got sort of twenty odd players that are all favourable in terms of the fans. Yeah, I think well, the Xhaka thing's interesting, isn't it? Because I think for me, go on, Josh. Yeah. Well, I was I was only going to say. You know, and, we, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it after the break with, with Ozil. But, I mean, it does feel like there's a certain type of player that isn't as popular, that you know, for whatever reason that is going. I mean, you know, Kalazinac, Ozil, you know, Mustafi's Instagram or Twitter post today, that was that was unnecessary, wasn't it? I think Alan's entirely right. We're, we're, we're getting behind now, the, the, these lads. And, you know what, we because of the way the results now have come and it looks like there is a bit of revival and can we continue it and get ourselves into Europe? You know, th that way of, let's say we do end up six, doing it in this manner will get us so much more behind this team because we can see, yeah. you know, the direction that he's managed to turn it around rather than if we'd have just 
don't know, like not had what we had earlier in the season and, you know, not had this title winning form. I mean, Alan's right. The, the only team in better form than us at the moment is Man City. There's only one team with what, five wins out of the last five. So it, it, it is amazing what's, um, what's being done at the moment. But I'm, I'm looking forward to talking a bit about Ozil after the break. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're, you're, can I just say, listeners, that Josh is laying back in a very seductive way on what can I, like, <laughs> sultry manner. <laughs> you're like, you couldn't be more laid back, Josh. I mean, it's impressive. You're taking the opportunity to, to chillax. That's good. I, I'm enjoying I, it. I, I, I genuinely have. I mean, the great thing about being up in the middle of a night, and if there's any um, recent uh, fathers listening to this podcast, do do send me tips. But the great thing is you really can get through a lot of telly uh, in the middle of a night. And this is like the, the pose I've got watching telly. And that's why I started watching Bellerin's YouTube documentary. I got yeah. through all of the Class of 92 Salford documentary. Um, I watched every single minute of... Super Sunday, like was class the whole of 92, analysis. Was Class of 92 played by your our friend uh, Ben Winston? Was that made by him? No, by so this company? is a different no. one. This is Class oh, of 92, okay. where they, they do a documentary following them um, in their role as the Salford City oh, yeah. um, co-owners. Yeah. It's actually really good. It's a really good insight into life in the lower leagues and what it is like running a, a League Two club. Um, three-part series recommend it i'll also give a shout out while we're doing shout outs is um that on sky documentaries next monday night at nine o'clock is uh, michael richard's the uh, documentary oh, yes. um racism and football so at nine o'clock next monday night i have seen it and i, I think uh football fans um will will enjoy seeing uh seeing his take on everything yeah i've seen the truth it looks really good yeah to be fair i'm gonna we're gonna go to the break with this i'm gonna um, quote Ben, our friend Ben Winston's tweet. Did you see this tweet that he, he tweeted? Brilliantly timed about, I would say, about 10, 15 minutes into the second half. Um, he said he tweeted this. We need someone really creative and experienced to open this game up second half. I know there's that incredible new number 10 at Fenerbahce. He's exactly what we need. Not sure he'd sign for us as not in the Champions League, but we could try and sign him in this window, question mark. Mesut Ozil. He's tagged in Mesut Ozil. Let's talk about that after this break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike e-bikes that are cool af and we're back from the break uh, alan's still here alan what are you looking at you're staring up at some screen or so are you looking at the uh, coverage on on sky of the uh, of the game i was looking at ben's tweet oh ben's tweet yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there you go um, I've, got, I've got twitter uh, up here so i can oh you know, i see make sure my opinions yeah. are fresh <laughs> yeah fair <laughs> fair enough fair enough um what do we think about the whole I, I i'll start with my feeling um i mean i think it's sad i think it's sad in in terms of the story is sad because he you know he was a brilliant player he was one of the most exciting signings of the lot of recent times you know of the last decade i would say he was a world-class player um a, you know a brilliantly creative figure that that we needed and initially, he was. I thought he was brilliant, and I loved him. And he was particularly great playing. I think with um, with Alexis Sanchez. You know that period when we had t- the two of them. I thought the two of them kind of helped each other and flourished really well. Which is ironic, considering a lot of people hate Alexis Sanchez and love Mesut Ozil. But I think they were both good for each other. And then I just think in the last years, it's just been a really sad. I think he declined visibly himself I thought he was I think that role the role of because Emil Smith Rowe's version of the number 10 is much more thrusting and pacey and dynamic than Mesut Ozil's version of it has been in the last few years that's was all I would say and clearly whatever it is about his attitude etc that has not impressed the last three managers of Arsenal 
cannot be discounted. And finally, I would say before I go over to, um, it's interesting that Albino, who's an Arsenal fan, did a did a column about um, about him about his best season when he created an incredible number of chances, you know, almost like up there with the with the most number of assists, etc., in Premier League history. But even then, he like he tailed off massively in that season, and. Uh, Albino pointed out in that um, summary, he still didn't play in some of those key games against our big rivals and in those away games to like, you know, up north, famously somehow avoided going there. It was almost like he had a deal with Wenger particularly, like where he could just not play in certain games. And it was always like mysterious. It was like, oh, he's got a, he's got a bad back. He's sick. He's ill. He's got a cold. All of that stuff has tainted his reputation. I think he will go down as a massive disappointment. Like, initially great, but massive disappointment in the end. Alan, am I being unfair? Possibly, by saying massive disappointment. Um, Because, again, I don't think it's as clear-cut as that. I think you can say that you're disappointed in the way it ended. but there were Yeah, that's what I mean, actually. But there were definitely parts of it that made you think that he was a great player for us and a great signing. Um, I always think you have to be careful... And I'll give Chaz Mookie Burden his uh, his regular pod mention, but he, he's a big fan of Mesut and he's a big fan of Hector Bellerin. And they're two players that I've criticised a lot. But you have to be really careful when you criticise both of those players because there are groups of people that criticise Mesut Ozil for reasons that are not football-based. And there's groups of people that criticise Hector Bellerin for reasons that are not football-based. And both are completely groups that I do not want to be part of, yeah? They're both fantastic yeah. human beings, and let's get that yeah. completely straight in everything. That People they love them for that reason, for the same reason. But the Ozil yeah. fan club, yeah. But but I think you have to be careful, because when people rant and rave against Hector Bellerin, like I've sometimes done against his defending, they go, veganness, and, uh, you know, oh, yeah, he, yeah. he has these kind of political views, and you think... No, that's absolute rubbish. Off the pitch, they're both great people. Sometimes on the pitch, I've had I've had reasons to question them. And I think that's certainly true of, of Ozil. And you mentioned, you know, Martin Keown has said a hell of a lot. And I think he's the only one who's leaking stuff from outside of the club and has done it consistently since there were first doubts over whether Ozil was pulling his weight. And, and Keown has slowly leaked this and slowly leaked out these little snippets of info. And... There's two sides to every story, but what he was basically saying was that a lot of the time, Ozil was picking and choosing when he was going to perform and which matches he was going to play in. And now you speak about that Albino column, and when I read it, I was actually surprised that this, this you know, missing these key games and these big away games or the, the trips that you wouldn't fancy going on, it's not a recent thing. It's not a recent thing at all. But it wasn't questioned in the seasons he's first started doing it because he was performing yeah. around those matches. So you weren't ever saying, oh, look, he played terribly last week and now we can't be bothered to go to, I don't know, Stoke or Burnley or wherever like that. It, it wasn't it wasn't the case. But when mm. people look at, you know, number 10s and they've been talking about just his number over the past few weeks, they, they mentioned Dennis Burkamp. Now, Dennis Burkamp obviously hated flying. Everyone knows that. But a lot of the time he was like, well, my brother-in-law is going to drive me to this game because fundamentally I'm an Arsenal player. I want to play in this game. And there was a lot of attitude from Meza Ozil. It seems to be the case that a lot of the time he was like, uh, I know I'm an Arsenal player, but this game, no, I don't fancy it. And that's where I have to be critical. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's that. It's more than anything, it is that. And, and it's almost like... There was like a cover-up. Well, I mean, because you, you could never admit that, could you, in public to to to, to fans? But it was so Definitely weird. Not. It was such a weird, yeah. It was such a weird period um, where he wouldn't play in those games. It's like, what's going on? Why? And it's like, and to and I think it sets for for the manager to agree to that situation sets an appalling precedent. And I think it did have an effect. It had a huge effect on the culture of the club. And that's it. And all this, all the all the time when Arteta was talking about the culture at the club, and you know. A lot of it stems from that, I think, just stems from allowing that situation. But yeah, I mean, the, the you know, at his best, some of the goals he was involved with, that he scored, that he, the, the assists, all of that, were fantastic, of course. But Completely. he's always going to be tarnished, isn't he? He's never going to be an Arsenal great, put it that way, is he? Well, he, was a, he was an I mean, afterthought, I don't feel afterthought signing. You know, he wasn't, 
I know, yeah. I know Jeff always rallied against this point, but luckily in midweek, I, I did seem to get some evidence through that backed up what I was saying. You know, he was an afterthought signing. He wasn't part of some Wenger master plan. It was Real Madrid no. had done, done us done us dirty on a couple of little uh, transfers, including the Bale one. Um, and when they said, well, once we get Bale, this is who's available. And take it or leave it. So Yeah, they offered him to know, us, yeah. Yeah. yeah it wasn't like I agree, yeah. You yeah. can't rewrite history there. You really can't. No. Josh Hang on. We're being we're Boyd, being harsh. Boyd. Let's show some respect. This is the the player <laughs> who was the quickest to fifty Premier League assists when he did it. De Bruyne later beat that record. But that is remarkable. He got 19 assists in a single season, right? Only one less than Thierry managed in, in Thierry's most extraordinary, you know, season. Um, he arrived at the club, you know, when we hadn't won a trophy for a considerable amount of time. He leaves with three FA Cups, not to mention the fact that he wasn't even, he had already been bombed out by the time of the final, you know, come around in 2020. So he's still got three, you know, FA Cups. Um he had a couple of exceptional seasons. It, it, you know, we'll, we'll look back in his period at the club, the, the year we came closest, I guess, to winning a title where we maybe should have, you know, challenged better would be, what, 15, 16 season when, when Leicester won. And he was, he was exceptional um, that year. Now, the yeah, last couple of years... If we'd have had a proper years, striker no instead one, of Giroud, we might, have, we might have done better. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. I, ju- I just think you, you cannot take away what he did in those first few years. He, he was genuinely... It's not me taking a, it away, Josh. A world-class player. Well, you know, a, lo- a lot of players, you know, don't sustain a certain level for as long as you sort of may hope and dream they would. We've probably got three very good seasons out of him and a couple of okay seasons and a, and a, the last two disappointing. Um, but yeah. I just think it, it's not like a day to celebrate today. It, it's a sad day for, for everyone. I, I don't know. It, it, I feel he's up there, top five Arsenal players in terms of quality that, that I've seen at Arsenal. When, when you were, I, you know, I used to go a lot in the, that period, 2013 to 17. You know, I, I probably went to as many away games as I'll, I'll ever have the time to go to. When you saw his name on the team sheet, it doesn't matter who was up front. You always thought, we've got a chance today. There is someone in this team with undoubted quality to pick a pass. Um, I remember there was a game, was it was it Sunderland or Southampton? I remember we, the, he, he broke some kind of crazy record for like creating 12 chances in a Premier League game. It, it was a Premier League you know, record. I mean, there is something extraordinary um, about uh, the qualities he had for a long period of time. Um, and... I'm I'm sad today because I will genuinely think he was one of my favourite Arsenal players in those in that couple of years, and it's just a uh, you know it's 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 just depressing. It's all ended like this that he didn't get any kind of farewell that we've had six months, but it's it's good, right? I mean, I'm I'm glad we're not paying his wages for another six months, so that's the only positive today. That's a big thing, and you know, yeah, you, you're probably right in saying you know he's definitely he's definitely in the top ten best players to, wear, to have ever played for us because you look at his CV outside of the time that he played for us, you know, there's World Cups in there and, you know, the Liga titles and things like that. So you, you can't really question his ability as a player. But I think you're right in that summing up, but you pretty much said that in order, you know, amazing seasons, okay seasons, and then and then bad. People will remember the late, the, you know, there's a recency bias to remember the latter seasons within that. Um, but while also acknowledging that he, you know, he has been good for us, he, he has been good for us. He probably could have been a little better, a little better. I think. That's yeah, better. I just think you know, just boy, you think of all the brilliant midfielders, attacking forward players that have played in the in the Premier League. He was the one that got to 50 Premier League. So it has to count for something when we when we look back on his impact on, on the club that he, you know, was. A, integral part of, of ending our, you know, what felt like a drought really uh, in terms of uh, silverware. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's just sad, isn't it? That, you know, the way that it's, it's, it's all happened and, you know, him, you know, being like a social media, almost like a troll to Arteta about, you know, Oh, what a good idea to go and play Emil Smith Rowe as a number 10 is, 
Yeah, it's just been it's yeah. been embarrassing. I'm I'm glad there's a line drawn under it. Um, I'm just waiting for the. What do you think his Instagram like goodbye post is going to say? Because he's sort of clearly, you know, waiting for you know to sign on the dotted line in Fenerbahce, but hasn't that hasn't stopped him doing the uh, photo with the scarf? Usually, you get the emotional thank you. It was brilliant being at Arsenal and then about two minutes later there's a post about how much he's excited to play for his new club yeah what do you think he's going to say in his his farewell message well he said well he did tweet tonight he tweeted whether I am here or not I will always support my gunners good luck tonight so I mean that's almost yeah but I want more I want I want uh I want something written on like iPhone notes and then screenshot it come on yeah I know I know what you mean I, I I don't I think I think what you're saying is right though you know I think he has. He's ended up coming across as a bit of a snide, a bit of a snidey kind of. You know, people like, like people like Chaz. You know, I love Chaz. Obviously, Chaz Newkey Byrne, who um, Alan mentioned, who loves absolutely loves Arsenal. I mean, I think he's been out. You know, Chaz has talked about how he loves Arsenal more than he loves Arsenal. That's fair enough. Um, if you want, you know, lots of his lots of Arsenal's fans do. Um, but for me, I, you know, you, a lot of a lot of Arsenal's fans think that. Off the pitch, as Alan was alluding to all of this, you know, that he's he's some kind of great and that part of his ostracization this season has been because his defending of the Eigen Muslims and all of that. But of course, even that is tainted by the fact that of his association with his, you know, his, his um, leader who, um, you know, Erdogan and all of that and coming to his we've been through this many times. But all I'm saying is every element of him for me is tainted. And that's what's really sad. And I don't have take no pleasure in it. But I think there are other players, and Alan's right, one of the most skillful players ever played for Arsenal. But that makes it even sadder for me that it, that he's tainted it, A, by his attitude and by, as you know, all that stuff about not playing in certain games. His attitude off the pitch subsequently, that the tweeting that you're talking about, the, you know, the whole contrived, all that, that, all of it is just, I just think it's really unfortunate, the whole thing. And for me... So I, I think, you know, it's like an Arsenal great for me. It's like someone who, when they, you know, generally you look back on them, what they've com- committed, like, you, you know, and and you kind of think, yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, it makes me feel good about what they, what, what, what their whole time, their time at Arsenal. They're, they're obviously every player declines and it's whether you get rid of them before they decline fully. But for me, Urza will not be one of those players. I, I have loads and loads of players ahead of him, like the Liam Brady's of this world and the Ian Wrights and the Bergkamp's and the, you know, loads and loads of players I can think of that I feel more positive about. It's just that than, than Urza. And that is, and, and I have to lay, and I don't, I'm not, and that's not, that's, I'm not saying that and I take no pleasure in that. I just think it's in his attitude that is a part of that. I think that's fair. I, I, I do think that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about whether, you know, is he one of the best players to have played for us? Is he one of your favourite players to have played yeah, for us? Right. I'm with you. I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. But talking of one of your favourites... He's not making my top 10, Alan, in my favourites, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But but talking of your favourites, boy, I think there are (laughs) comments from Theo Walcott we should probably touch on before the end of the pod because I was simply astonished to see Theo sounding off this week about how Arsenal lacked ambition when he was with us and thought that it was really disappointing and we were a little bit too nice as a team and we didn't challenge Leicester to the 2016 title because we were a bit too nice. I'm thinking, yeah, you, you specifically, all these things, all these things that you're saying are summed up. If I, if, you know, if, if you put those six lines down about Arsenal and you ask me to think of the first player that come into my head, it would be the Theo Walcott era. So it's astonishing lack of self-awareness that that has prompted these quotes and, and you know, what he said. I know he's sort of saying that he... There, he's saying that Wenger was happy to finish fourth, but how would he have conveyed that to him? I yeah, mean, which clearly know, he was. Yeah, yeah, but how would he have conveyed that to him? I don't get that. If you're a player and it's actually said outright, if a manager comes into a dressing room and says... And I mean, look, far be it from me to defend us and Wenger, but I'm going to try here. There yeah. couldn't have been a point. There could not have been a point where Arsene Wenger came into a dressing room or the, you know, the changing rooms at Colney and said, guys, target fourth this year. I'll be happy with that. I, I can't imagine. Of course, I don't think that's what he means, though. To just, yeah, just to say quickly. 
I, I, I think I know what he means. I think what he means is that the club as a whole, and Arsene Wenger in particular, and, and I felt this at the time. I think I'm, I remember banging on about it constantly on this podcast. Just always stop short of making the purchases, of the investment, of getting the team um, attitude right, that always felt that little bit short of winning of winning, yeah. of being title contending. And that, and I think that's what Theo was talking about. He, he, and I think he's absolutely right. I'm surprised. Take him away from it. Take the personal thing away from it. We, I, I would have thought you'd absolutely agree fundamentally with that. And I don't think Theo's role, I don't think Theo, he's talking about, I think he's talking about the defenders that, that we didn't, you know, that, that, that we didn't go out and buy an, a world-class finisher when Giroud was, in, you know, leading. But well, he, say what you like about Giroud. I'm not going to have that argument, but... He definitely wasn't a reliable, 100% reliable goal scorer that we needed, that other teams had. He, he wasn't, you know, that Leicester had, for example, he, he your epi- favourite. He, he epitomised that, oh, great two weeks, average another four weeks, and then poor for two games, then back to... He, he epitomised that inconsistency. I would love to know, and I guess, you know, Arsene Wenger will eventually be releasing some kind of book or something where they have loads of info in it. <laughs> Um, so I, do you know what I'd have loved to have known from, and, and nobody had the bottle to ask him. When you slipped up to Leicester in that 2016 title, what did you say to the players? Did you convey any anger to the players? Because there's one element of this Theo interview that I'm very confused about. He seems to think that no anger or disappointment was conveyed to the players in their missing out. And if that's true, then. That is astonishing from Wenger. I believe it. I do. I believe it. But I'll tell you why. Because I think I think that whole season was like I don't think Wenger even expected us to be to be competing for the league. I think he thought you know I certainly didn't expect Leicester to win it. But I think he thought the other big teams you know would be competing. And we ended up because they all fell away and they all were massively disappointing um, in this freakish season. And Leicester ended up being the team that went on this incredible run and and you know had this incredible level of confidence and consistency that we ended up being almost default by default we came second. But we never ever did we. Look like title contenders we, in that we, season. We, the, the, when we beat them at home, we went odds on to win it. That that game where Welbeck scored at the end, yeah, that's when it, we yeah. went odds on to win it. Now, did you ever believe we would though? I, I remember not just not I thinking have to we believe had it. That we had a better, I have to believe that we had a better than fifty percent chance for at least three weeks at a vital point of the season, and eventually didn't. And I know Wenger was good at these percentages and things like that. So he usually knew about about to the level of where he could be certain. And bear in mind, City, Liverpool and all those teams had dropped away by then and Chelsea. It was Tottenham that were challenging Leicester at the time. And we went odds on. Right. And right. Theo Walcott seems to be saying that no level of disappointment was conveyed to the players after they slipped up from Leicester. I'm, I'm astonished. Absolutely astonished. It doesn't surprise me at all. Josh, what, what, what's your feeling about this slightly <laughs> discussion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did see some of these oh, um, these quotes. Sorry, I think my, my internet is uh, slightly unstable, but I hope uh, you can hear me. I, I did see some of these comments. I mean, you've got to remember, Theo was with us over such a long period. And... What I do think is true is that the players were aware that certainly for that first half of Theo's time at the club, that we were not really going to be challenging for the title, that Wenger knew what it would mean to to go to the the stadium. And I've spoken to a few of the players from the the squad at that time, and and including some of those who, who left to go to other clubs. And there was just an understanding Arsenal did not have the financial resource to either keep the top, top players at that time who who went and, you know, in their droves to, you know, Man City, you know, in particular, and, you know, Fabregas and, you know, Vermeulen and, and, and all the others who left the club during that period. Arsenal couldn't challenge. Now, Maybe by the time 2016 came around, that's a long time after the the move to the Emirates, and that will always be the one the one which which got away. But I, I don't know, you know, Theo. I, I need to listen to the actual interview. I just wonder if he's kind of saying that there was a 
too long a period at the club where it did feel like getting into fourth was enough. But that was the reality, right? The, the club took a view. Yeah. Do we go to this new stadium and accept we're not going to win the title, but definitely hope we're going to get into the Champions League because we based all our predictions for a decade on just at least getting in Champions League football. And I think it's very hard to hide that from the players. I think the players knew what the, what the yeah, reality was. So I understand where the, the comments come from. If there wasn't disappointment at not winning the league that season, then, then that feels wrong because of just what a missed opportunity it was. But Josh, my, my criticism of the way Theo structured his answers in that interview or, or what he was actually saying, I don't, I don't know where this actually came from, is that if you're a player and you think that you're being held back by that, then surely there's some kind of clamour to get together and turn in better performances or or be better or do it yourself or or drag yourself up. The, the motivation must be there. But hang on. Walker also spoke in this interview very eloquently about how Robin Van Persie, he said, was the best striker he ever played with. Better than Thierry, he said. And he spoke about how integral Seth Fabregas was. Now, yeah. Theo Walcott wasn't in charge of those players deciding to, to move away from Arsenal. And how can it not impact the rest of the squad? When your best player... Yeah, goes to Manchester United when you're and and the other player goes to to sort of Barcelona. How can that not have an impact? And the rest of you going, well, maybe we're not really designed to win at the moment. And I, I just think it's hard to avoid that. I mean, my my attitude in that situation would be right. Well, we don't need them. Let's roll our sleeves up, lads, and and get on with it. It, it doesn't strike me that any of the players we had at that time had that kind of character to say, right, you know, forget them. Let's get on with it. I do realise that obviously. Statistically, losing two players of that quality probably means you're not going to be as good the following season. But it's still on you as a player to do your best, and I don't think we saw that from him enough. Don't I? I, I read it right. It was it was a it was a talk sport interview, and I read the. the I was looking at it now. Uh, do you know what he's talking about? What he's talking when he mentioned the Van Persie thing is really important, actually, because what he's talking about is the fact we had Giroud. And not that's that, and I've been saying this for years, and I know, and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to unearth the old who's better, Giroud or whatever, Lacazette. It, but Giroud, and I know there's this whole revisionist thing. He's the most underrated striker in the history of football. Blah blah blah. If, it's so boring now. Every, I mean, every week's a new thing about how Giroud's the best player ever. Even though every manager's had him, it's very reluctant to pick it. By the way, including now at Chelsea, even now, you know, even in their bad run, still he's a Frank's reluctant to pick him. And there is reason for that because he's not a great, he's not a brilliant world class finisher. I don't care what how many fucking uh, games he's played for France and all of that. It's, and Van Persie was, and that's the difference, and... isn't it? In a title winning side, no, no, no. Listen, Alan, you're, don't you think that's what Theo was talking about? Theo talked about how many assists he created for Van Persie and how brilliantly mm-hmm. reliable Van Persie was in scoring. And we did not have that in the Giroud era. And you know, we had it subsequently. You know, but we didn't have it. And that's the key. One of the key root factors in not winning the league, I think. And I think that's what Theo's talking about. Possibly. Possibly. Um, I mean, I, you know, Giroud, I've, I've talked about his one-touch finishes before. I mean, he must he must be a good finisher to, be, to pull off so many one-touch goals. I think it's over 90% of his goals have been scored with only one touch of the ball, which takes some doing. Yeah. Um, How many chances does he miss? Come on. I mean, he does miss chances. I'll give you that. And and obviously, there was a period where he missed chances that cost us points. Oh, lots of games. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, maybe he is alluding anyway, to I, that. Maybe he is alluding to I that. Maybe, maybe that's, you know. It's interesting. People can read it. Yeah, there was a, there was a there was a mail online. Just, I'd like to hear the whole thing. But it was an interesting. Anyway, we should. Josh, poor Josh, has probably had no sleep. You know, he thought we were going to have a constantly positive only podcast, and we've ended up arguing about. I'm just. It is amazing. Venga, it's I, like. I know. I God. mentioned the. Um, clean sheets I've just seen the tweet saying this is actually our best run in terms of defensive clean sheets since 2009 so um, 11 wow. years uh, which is great but we, apparently we had six in a row then um, and now we've had five I mean this is interesting Boyd I guess we'll do a, a podcast maybe um, after the game um, a, um, a week on Tuesday against Southampton I mean we could be playing Southampton twice within a matter of days couldn't we I mean because we've got yeah, the we FA will. Cup um, 
Saturday lunchtime yeah. we're playing. We just don't know who. We assume Southampton. Yeah. Alan, uh, I mean, the I odds must heavily be Southampton. Southampton are really good as well, aren't they? I know they lost... Um, yeah the other night, but they're really good. I mean, you know, potentially Theo or North, no Theo. Um, so yeah, this is, we've got some tough games coming, haven't we, Alan? So it could, you know, we, this would be a, a more, even more of a test of the Arteta. Um, well, I, I did say um, I'm ignoring the FA Cup because I think obviously we will play uh, a slightly weakened team. It's, it's, it's over 75% chance that it is Southampton that we, that we meet in that game. Um, you're right. Those next two games are the ones that I've had my eye on because yeah, I, 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 you, I like to look at groups of games rather than saying, oh, let's just carry, get carried away about one result because we saw that with the outlier of that Man U result where we, where we beat them 1-0 and then he still drifted back. But those two games are the kind of games where you can prove a lot. And, and and I think yeah the Southampton Southampton away and then United at home the, those two league games it'd yeah be very interesting at the final whistle of that of that United home game to see where we are because if you add yeah, everything agree, together yeah. with these five games and the progression in the cup it could look amazing and mm. it could then just look about as average as just before the really bad run. And it could point yeah. to the fact that it's much of a muchness this season. So I think we're going to know yeah. a hell of a lot more about us by the time of the final whistle in that game. Hopefully, the 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 team that we that we pick in the FA Cup at the weekend, who are most likely going to play Southampton, are good enough to get us through there. Because I think FA Cups are important. They're important to keep members of the squad firing. They're important to uncover other members of the squad that can come into the what you'd call the Premier League, the first team. Um, yeah, let's be positive. You know, we if, if we win these next three games, then I don't think anybody can say that we're not going to have a, a good second half of the season. You'd have we'd have to fall off an absolute cliff if if yeah. we win the next three games and then it all turns to rubbish again. So to me, I think they're pivotal, pivotal games. Yeah. Yeah, Josh, are we going to do a podcast after the cup game, or we're going to, or we're going to wait till next Wednesday after the Southampton? What do you think? I don't know. Because if we, if we're going to do one after the cup game, then I think I might allow us not to do a, a, a prediction for the first time ever because we don't even know which team we're playing. I mean, I know we can assume it's Southampton, but who the fuck knows? I mean, I mean Shrewsbury it, might. It, it's 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 a night of first, right? My first podcast as a father. Could this be the first ever podcast yes. without a prediction ever? I think in, so. In seven I think I'm and a half years it. of doing this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think because after Tom Rosen, so I think he predicted um, we we're going to win seven nil or something um, today. That he did, he wasn't taking the prediction seriously anyway. So I think we'll um, we'll allow it. Uh, congr- congratulations again, Josh, to the birth uh, for you, to you to the birth of your baby daughter and um, this new era. In, I hope though that doesn't mean you're not going to carry on booking guests as excellent as Alan Alka every week on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, boy. Thank you. I, I'm committed uh, committed to the cause. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll be back after after we've played in the in the cup. Then let's do two. Why not? We're in celebratory mood. Why not? Why the hell not? Cheers, Alan. As as, as ever, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Cheers, guys. It's now ten past eleven. They're still going on Sky. Monday night football goes on all night. For fuck's sake! I mean, I don't know what they're talking about now, but it's still going on. That's incredible, isn't it? No. I, I'm delighted. That's my four till five five a.m. sorted. So I look yeah, I've been recording. I'm going to watch later. the whole thing in a minute. Yeah, yeah. I think Aaron's sights will be better than Gary Neville and and, J- and Jamie Carragher, obviously. Um, thanks to everyone for listening, and uh, we'll be back next. I think yeah, probably next Monday. Cheers. Bye. This is a playback media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.